A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. From the Society for Nautical Research in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. As always, we begin by catching up on the sailors of the whaler Swan, trapped in the ice off the west coast of Greenland 184 years ago in the new year of 1837. It has been a terrifying week. Wednesday the 11th. Strong breezes from the westward with thick, hazy weather, the ship driving on shore in the direction of the reef of Bergs. Got the bread started into the bags and all our provisions and clothes on deck. At 2pm the floe caught one of the Bergs, broke the deck up and the pressure of the ice threw the ship on her broadside, everything at the time being thrown out of her onto the ice. Some of the men in jumping out of her bruised themselves very much. At 4pm the floe cracked astern when the ship righted, and once more we beheld the goodness of the Almighty. Covered with snow and benumbed with cold, we ventured on board after having been on the ice three hours, expecting every moment to see our home laid in ruins and ourselves exposed to the fury of the raging storm. At 10pm the winds abated and on trying the current found the ship was brought up. When tired with fatigue and cold, some of us lay down and slept. Two shakes, 335 and 320, and a 280-gallon cask were cut up this day for fuel. The damage the ship has sustained is not known at present. Latter part, light winds, but intensely thick and dark weather. Thermometer 19 degrees below zero. Welcome everyone to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today I shall be talking to the excellent Angus Constam. Angus is something of a legend of maritime history. He's written over a hundred books. It's an astonishing number, with titles such as Hunt the Bismarck and the Pirate World, gracing the shelves of those intrigued by maritime history. Angus's most recent book is Mutiny on the Spanish Main, HMS Hermione and the Royal Navy's Revenge, and it tells the story of Britain's worst ever mutiny. In 1797, the British frigate HMS Hermione was serving on the Jamaica station at the heart of Britain's bitter war against revolutionary France and Spain in the Caribbean. But under the sadistic and mercurial Captain Hugh Piggott, the ship becomes a floating hell. His men are flogged without mercy and his ship is ruled through terror. This brutal regime, exceptionally harsh, even by the standards of the day, eventually pushed Piggott's men beyond the limits of human endurance. When it came, the mutiny this provoked was the bloodiest in British naval history, an outburst of violence that saw the butchering of Piggott and the hacking to death of his officers. 
the mutineers then sailed to the Spanish main and treacherously handed the frigate over to the Spanish. This blood-soaked mutiny incensed the British Admiralty. They launched a relentless worldwide manhunt for the mutineers that continued for a decade. Then two years after she became the Spanish frigate Santa Cecilia, the Hermione was recaptured in what was one of the most daring and brilliantly executed cutting-out operations of the age of fighting sail. This book draws on letters, reports, ships, logs and memoirs of the period, as well as previously unpublished Spanish sources. It's a fantastic read, and I was very pleased indeed to be able to talk to Angus about this remarkable event. Hi, Angus. Thank you very much for talking to us today. A pleasure, Sam. Hi. So th- this is some story. How did you come across it the first time? Well, it's it all started when I was working in the Royal Armouries in the Tower of London. We were doing an exhibit. I was down seeing my colleagues in the National Maritime Museum. And in the conservation lab, I came across the painting of the of this frigate being attacked. And Thomas Pocock, as you know, normally does these great stirring sea scenes of, of great British victories. And here is one where he's actually capturing a British frigate. So I had no idea what this was about. I was I was a, a newbie to all this. And uh so I went to the um I went to the pub afterwards with two two of my friends who were curators n- now no longer with us, David Lyon and uh Teddy Archibald. Uh one the main naval history guy, the other the uh maritime paintings guy. I I told them about it. They took pity on me and and told me the story. It cost me several several drinks, but it was it was well worth it. And in the end, um, I just became slightly fascinated by it. It was uh, so. It all started really from a, from seeing this painting by Thomas Pocock, which I'm delighted to say the publishers have stuck in the book cover. So it uh, now now anyone can see it for the princely price of buying a copy yeah um so what we've got here is this this amazing image of um a spanish frigate being attacked by english sailors that's absolutely it yes yeah but it's not originally a spanish frigate this was once the hermione and your book tells the story of of how it ended up in spanish hands yeah absolutely yes yes it was uh it started as the hermione 36 gun frigate it became a 40 gun Spanish frigate called uh, the Santa Cecilia, and uh, the the cover shows the the daring cutting out, which was called at the time by uh, Vice Admiral Parker as the most daring example of a, of a raid of its of its kind ever. So you should know. Yeah, let's let's go back in time then and um, find out how this this uh, English ship ended up in Spanish hands. What what actually happened? Why was there a mutiny? Well, the the Hermione was launched in 1782 in Bristol and she actually wasn't really um wasn't really used until she was put into mothballs until the um until the French Revolution and she was she was rushed into service crewed up and she set sail for the Caribbean with a crew of 180 people um by the time that uh the previous captain died of yellow fever, along with a lot of the crew. Um, in early 1797, the crew had been had dwindled down. The new captain had arrived, uh, called Captain Hugh Piggott. He was the son of an admiral. He was quite young, 
he was only 29 at the time of the mutiny uh, but he was it was more a case of uh, he was he's a fairly experienced seaman but he didn't know much about man management and in the seven months he was in command he managed to have 79 floggings on board which was even for the time was quite a record one guy was was flogged seven times so uh, not a happy ship no lucky to survive so many floggings and we should just say that at the time you know flogging was standard practice in the navy but not to the extent that piggott actually used it that's 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 right and he it was excessive even by the by the standards of the time it wasn't just that he had favorites he came from another frigate called the success which had gone to trouble for um for he actually flogged an american captain a merchant captain who he thought had deliberately rammed his ship uh during an incident the previous year so there was a big international incident about this so rather than send him home they had a uh, sweeping it under the carpet, court-martial, and rather than when the success was due home, he simply, the admiral in charge, swapped captains, and Piggott was given the Hermione. He had a really bad record of floggings on the success, but he also had a number of favourites. So on board, he had the old Hermione's whittled down by, by Yellow Jack, by Yellow Fever, and then this influx of, he had, I think, 24 people brought on board. Every captain can bring some, but he seemed to bring a lot of his a lot of his supporters. And these were people who were then given favoured positions on board, and there was a real us and them between the Hermione's and the successes. So it all didn't it all created a bad atmosphere. And that extended as far as the officers too. Yeah, and I, there's this wonderful story or terrible story of him threatening to flog the last sailor down from aloft, and it was targeted at the the young top men, and that seemed particularly unfair. Absolutely, that was the first of two incidents. Well, the second of two incidents. The first, even more outrageous, on the fourteenth of September, he disrated and flogged one of his midshipmen, midshipman David Casey, a young Irishman, nineteen year old who was quite an experienced um, sailor. He'd been an acting lieutenant on another ship. He was moved to the Hermione, and the the crew were quite outraged because it was... He, um, Casey did nothing wrong apart from defend his own topman or in in charge of whichever mast he was in, uh, the main mast, um, from, from the captain's wrath. But then... So he was flogged in front of the crew and disrated, which is not something you do with, with midshipmen. Uh, but less than a week later, well, a week later, on the 20th of September, he did the same thing. The ship was in the Mona Passage between uh, Santo Domenico and Puerto Rico. A squall came in. They decided to take down some of the top sails, topmen were sent aloft, and he was yelling at them all, and he yelled up to the mizzen topman, uh, right, I'm going to flog the last man down. So in the rush, uh, three of them fell to the deck, splat. One of them actually landed on the ship's master, uh, seriously, um, and badly bruised and injured him. Uh, the other two, uh, but all three men died instantly. And rather than show any compassion, uh, Captain Piggott just said, throw the lovers overboard. So the lubbers were mm. thrown overboard to the sh total shock and horror of the crew. As you as you pointed out, 
The top men are the youngest, most agile, most and very experienced seamen. They know what they're doing. And to call them a lubber would, was just really just the last knell. So since then, that was just the day before the mutiny. And one of the surviving officers said that it was like the a, main, a watch with a mainspring broken. The, the ship was going through its routine, but discipline had completely broken down at this stage and trouble was brewing. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the kind of the extremity of the insult combined with unfairness. I think, you know, from my readings of, of life on board an 18th century sailing warship, the one thing that people minded about more than anything was unfairness, with the possible exception of a thief. No one liked a thief, but um, unfairness was, 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 it was a serious, serious problem, and it made the crew in this instance snap. What happened? Well, yes, you're right. He was a bit of a martinet of a captain, they were chasing uh, a ship, uh, Spanish ships, Spanish privateers in the Mona Passage, together with another small brig, the Diligence. Uh, that night, they saw the lights of the Diligence as as dust fell. The captain checked everything was all right and went to his cabin. About half an hour later, the, the crew sent a ship's boy to break into the spirit locker, get out a cask of rum, and they went into the forecastle and started drinking. Uh... That was really the core of the mutineers. But remember, this is a ship, it's probably at this stage, the crew is about 150 men, but the ringleaders were only a couple of dozen. So later, about just before 11 o'clock, a group of 12 of them creep through the lower deck to get to the captain's cabin, which is, of course, his aft, guarded by a marine sentry. It's pitch dark. They would have jostled through their shipmates in their hammocks and then reached the captain's door, um, launched themselves on the sentry, armed with cutlasses and uh, blade pins, knives, everything, clubbed him to the ground, uh, and then started, broke open the door and rushed into the captain's cabin. Of course, there's the great cabin, there's also a sleeping cabin and another cabin. The, the door led into the first one where the captain's steward was there, um, was, was sleeping, he was shoved aside. This knot of a dozen seamen raced into the captain's sleeping cabin. He'd stumbled out of his cot and he'd grabbed a dirk to def defend himself. And essentially he said, you know, what's going on? And they started laying into him with swords and just fists and, and daggers. He tried to defend himself, but that was it. Yeah, reading the accounts, you get a sense of, of it being extreme hatred is the is the only way i could possibly you know de describe the accounts of what's going on and um you know this this kind of this this decisive moment when they've absolutely had enough and it's it's very violent and it's very bloody um but they didn't just target piggott did they no no that was that was just the start uh at the same time another knot raised after the quarter deck where the officer of the watch a fairly Young, uh, young lieutenant was Lieutenant Forshaw was had the watch, and he saw them coming. And he ordered the, when he heard the screams and shouts from from down below, just under his feet, really. Uh, he ordered the the guys at the wheel to steer towards the diligence. He knew where the lights of the accompanying brig were out in the darkness, and they refused. So that was the start of the mutiny. Moments later, there's knot of seamen run up and grab him. 
by that time, the whole thing was over in a couple of minutes, the initial thing. So the initial attack, the men from the cabin then come up and join them on the quarterdeck. They stab the officer of the watch and throw his body over the board, overboard. He actually didn't die. He was stuck in the um, in the chains and was bleeding almost to death, but uh, just literally hanging with one arm um, over the side of the ship. He made the mistake about half an hour later of crawling back on board and they said, aren't you done yet, you bugger? And then uh, stabbed him again and threw him overboard properly. So, uh, but at that point, the other officers were in the cabin. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, they were held held there by armed guards. Uh, they tried to come out. Uh, one, The master tried to cl- climb out through the skylight and he was hit with a blame pin and told to get, get back down. So they were held prisoner. By this time, the whole crew were roused and there was this moment. This, oh, remember I said there's only a knot of about up to two dozen ringleaders of this mutiny, actually 18 ringleaders, but about 24 guys armed to the teeth, they had to seize control of the ship. They were in the minority. So what they did is they issued orders. They wanted to turn away from that diligence. They didn't want to be there in the morning when there was another armed British ship in the neighbourhood. So they piped all hands to to um, to wear the ship. So they went up They and the men did their duty. They did what they were ordered. They ran up and the ship turned. They turned the wheel and it said that turned away to the south. By doing that, the rest of the crew were then complicit in the mutiny. They'd obey the orders of the mutineers, not of their officers. After that, some of them started showing they had to almost join in, or some of them didn't want to, other ones were quite happy to join in. So they then started threatening the officers, and then the snatch squads went down one by one over the, in the course of what was a pretty horrendous evening grabbing the most unpopular to start with dragging them out there was a the first lieutenant was uh, was killed the, there was a very unpopular officer who was responsible for who and Piggott's favorite 
the the second lieutenant he was he was stabbed repeatedly so was his his midshipman who was a bit of a snitch and on on the men too um and they were the first to go but then in the course of the night no fewer well 10 of the officers were killed that night only a couple of them who were the most popular ones were left alive yeah i mean the admiralty were often reasonably understanding in 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 terms of mutiny they'd at least listen to to people what was the punishment for mutiny and and i suppose there are two parts to this question what was the punishment for mutiny and was it the the scale of the violence that really put these mutineers up against it yes of course as you know this is on the back of the mutiny at spethead and the nor where it was really about grievance. It was about sailors' rights and just getting a fair deal. Let's just interrupt there and explain that there were the two huge full-fleet mutinies at Spithead right. and the Nore um, during, during this period. And what we're talking about here is a mutiny of an individual ship, but there had been um, service-wide mutinies, hadn't there? Yeah. Yes, there had been these two huge ones, which were about rights. And the in the end, they only hanged the navy the admiralty only insisted in hanging the ringleaders of these mutinies this one though was completely different this was an act of violence against the whole established order the the captain's was essentially lord and master of his ship he was backed by the articles of war governing discipline on board and for that to be challenged so violently was an affront to everything that all the bedrock of the navy so when news eventually reached the Admiralty, they there was first of all there was a public outcry. The public were horrified. The Admiralty just insisted on we have got to hunt these people down, and that's exactly what they did. They launched what was essentially the largest manhunt the Navy had ever undertaken at that time. Mm. And and it was so far away from home waters. That's a significant. It's a significant logistical challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. But after immediately after the mutiny, the mutineers, of course, there's the problem. You can't go home. You've stepped over the line. There's no going home. There's no seeing your family again. This whole frigate crew were then essentially ostracized the moment they joined the mutiny. So they sailed it to the port of La Guira, which is the little port serving Caracas, now in on the Spanish main, now part of Venezuela. And they essentially handed it over to the Spanish. Spain and France were at war with with Britain at the time. So essentially they were adding treason to mutiny. So by handing it over to the Spanish, that's what they did. But that gave them the chance to filter away through the Spanish colonies. And a lot went to America, uh, where there was a mutual language, um, a, a burgeoning maritime community where they needed prime seamen and... Most of the surprises, they, by the time of the mutiny, some of them had been on board for four years. And of course, just they, they, were, they were snapped up. So the Navy set about hunting down these people. Uh, they were stopping merchant ships uh, of neutral countries, as well as, as uh, obviously hunting down warships. Some were captured on Spanish privateers or French privateers that were captured. Other ones, were they stopped Danish, Dutch and American uh, neutral merchant ships and went through a list there was no photo id in those days so they had you know um they had 
Seaman Wills has a has a wart in his left left nose, and he has a um, he has a, a finger missing, um, and that's what they use to to ID these people. So if he was a suspect, he was dragged back for a potential uh, court martial, and then then a hanging. Do we have any uh, idea about what the sailors of the Hermione thought about now sailing for the Spanish? Well, only a few of them signed up for the Spanish for Spanish service, but a lot of them were quite happy to go into merchant service, and to uh, and especially American ones. So uh, some of them would land up in American warships. Of these mutineers, only thirty three were ever caught, and of those, twenty four were hanged. The Admiralty, despite the the violence uh, and the the murder of of ten of their officers. They really wanted to be to do things by the book, so everyone had a had a court martial. I'm not saying it was a fair trial, but it was pretty fair. And some of the best records that I've came across come from these court martials. A lot of the evidence, especially by the men who were essentially turning king's evidence to to um, basically wriggle out of a death sentence of a hanging themselves. But 24 of them were hanged. Some in in Jamaica, in Port, off Port Royal, Jamaica, some in the West Indies, and a lot in Portsmouth. So, but the sailors themselves, the uh, a number who'd signed up with Spanish service, some even some of the Marines even joined the the uh, Spanish army. So, um, yeah, they were they'd had to form a new life for themselves, and that's just what they did. So on the one hand, we've got the the mutineers themselves, the people, but the Admiralty have got this other problem, is that one of their ships is now sailing for the Spanish and they're not going to let that lie, are they? That's that's right. The Hermione was getting a bit long in the tooth. She was launched in 1782, but by 1799, um, she was about to be... The Spanish took ages getting her ready for sea. They took the best part of two years but finally she was ready and the Admiralty knew this from intercepting um, merchant ships and so on. They knew she was down to sail. So the Admiral in Jamaica ordered Captain Hamilton of the success to go and capture her. They expected her to sail between the island of Aruba and the uh, South, Af- uh, the South American mainland, uh, but she didn't show up because the Spanish were late leaving port. They they had so many final crewing problems that uh, she was kept in port for another another few weeks. So Hamilton was ordered not to go and um, cut her out. He was ordered to capture her at sea. But he thought, oh to hell with this! I'm going. I'm going after her. And he he did. He figured out she was still in port. He and then he decided, he organized a cutting out expedition. And this is probably, this is the, the moment celebrated in that Pocock painting. He's on the, on the night of the 24th, uh, 25th October, he sent in six boats, six of his ship's boats, all his ship's boats, crewed with 100 sailors and marines. Now, it turned out that the, the um, Hermione, or rather the Santa Cecilia, was crewed by almost 400 Spanish. So uh, the odds were not in the British favour. Plus, they had guard boats guarding the port. They had uh, a boom defences around the ship. And more importantly, they had a huge fort. They had a couple of 
a couple of batteries, but one of them was the ship. The ship was parked, or was anchored under the guns of this of the San Felipe fortress. So, cutting her out as the naval, as you know, the naval parlance for going in there, grabbing a ship, and taking her out of a harbour was never going to be easy. It was going to be a deed, a deed of daring do, but that's exactly what they managed to do. The attack was almost textbook. There was a problem with a couple of the ships got distracted. A couple of the ships' boats got distracted. The Spanish raised the alarm. The Spanish crew were even down below decks, blasting away into the night. They thought they were under attack from, from ships, but these the ships' boats came in underneath that, boarded on both sides. The captain, Captain... Um, Captain Hamilton was the first one aboard. His 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 boat of twenty people got up on deck, and they found the upper deck largely deserted. They just had a small crew up there. Everyone was down below, blasting the guns out into the night. So it was it was <laughs> perfect. So he he sent some top men aloft to loose to loosen the foresails. Everyone else rushed back to seize the wheel, and then a fight started. They, the Spanish realised what was happening. More men came up from below, but by then reinforcements had come. Other ships had appeared, other ships' boats. So bit by bit, in little numbers of between 16 and 25 seamen at a time, the, the British were coming back, uh, getting on board. And then once they secured the upper deck, they threw grenades down the hatches to keep the Spanish at bay and then raced down there themselves. They sent the Marines and the sailors down. But the Spanish weren't expecting trouble. They were manning the guns. They were armed with trail spikes and the odd dagger. And there were these tooled up British Marines and sailors <laughs> in there with cutlasses in this confined space and essentially pushing them forward um, and hemming them in in the gun deck. They went aft and captured the captain's cabin. Finally, when more people came on board, they cut the rigging, sorry, they cut the anchor cables. Uh, lowered the sails and started taking the ship out to sea. And it was at that moment the Spanish shore batteries finally figured out what was going. Christ, they're stealing our ship. And they started pounding her with cannonballs. One of the round shot punctured the ship's side, started leaking. This didn't, this actually was the trigger for the remaining Spanish to think, gosh, this is this has gone too far. And they surrendered. A few of them jumped over, had the sense to jump out of the gun ports and swim, swim for shore. But uh, the Hermione was taken out to sea, or the Santa Cecilia. Uh, and when she was alongside the surprise, they tended to the wounded and were quite amazed that they'd actually captured almost 400 Spanish crewmen. So mm. it was a fight against the odds, which explains why Pocock was so happy to celebrate it. And when the news reached Jamaica... Uh, when the ships reached Jamaica, the two ships, um, the admiral in charge, uh, Vice Admiral Hyde Parker, was absolutely delighted, told the Admiralty and celebrations all round. The, Ad the Navy, though, were had the, the last laugh. They wanted to... Um, he wanted to call the ship the Revenge, rename it the Revenge. Uh, they call it Retribution. The Admiralty insisted on the words Retribution. She was no longer the Hermione. It should be the HMS Retribution. So that was a warning against mutiny more than yeah. more than um, just about anything else. It's such a it's a wonderful mixture between the Navy's but possibly the worst hour when there was this mutiny, even though they were mutinying against a, a really unpleasant captain, and also the Navy's the f finest hour with this extraordinary act. That's that's it, and and in between you've got treachery, mutiny, um, desertion, uh, 
all kinds of things and and treason thrown in. So it, as a story, it's just one of those lovely gems. It is. It's a wonderful story. Um, and everyone, if you want to find out more, do please read Mutiny on the Spanish Main, HMS Hermione and the Royal Navy's Revenge by the wonderful Angus Constant. Angus, thank you so much for talking to us today. An, ab- an absolute pleasure, Sam. Thank you all so much for listening. As ever, we've had more fascinating entries in our free forum, and in particular, a follow-up to a recent query from Ian Trackman. Now, Ian has been trying to find information on the conception and birth date of Dido Bell, uh, the mixed-race daughter of John Lindsay. He's commanding officer of HMS Trent between 1759 and 1763, and Maria Bell, a slave. The... Birth date was estimated around uh, the 3rd to the 5th of July, 1761. Uh, and Ian's trying to establish from naval records whether, um, where, where she could have been conceived about nine months before her estimated birth date. So in the autumn of 1760, he located the log of HMS Trent at the National Maritime Museum, posted it onto the forum. And we've had a good bit of deciphering of the logs from one of our members, Nicholas Blake, um, and he explains what's going on. We found out that uh, John Lindsay, the commanding officer of HMS Trent, was uh, at Cape St Magnus on the 6th of October. He was at the island of Nevis on the 18th of October. 19th at Old Road St Christopher's. 23rd of October, St Eustatius is five leagues away. And 24th of October, St Bartholomew is five miles away. The entries of these logs, um, Nicholas has worked out, shows him possibly leaving the ship on the 20th and the 21st of October when he was moored in Old Road St Christopher, watering the ship, so filling the barrels with fresh drinking water. It's a fascinating story, and I I will keep you posted as uh, as more comes to light. That's it for now. Do please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Nautical History. On Facebook, the Society for Nautical Research. The podcast also has its own Instagram page and we will be building content on our YouTube page over the coming months. How can you help? Well, please follow us on social media. Please tell everyone. And the best thing you can do is to join the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.